You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. Let me stop you right there. This will always be a pro Cam Newton show. Opinionated. Hey, Tatum is phenomenal, but the end of game execution in the NBA is just laughable. To the point. I'm already tired of this storyline. This guy's a future Patriot. This quarterback's a future Patriot. That quarterback's a future Patriot. Are we really going to link everybody to the Pats all offseason? Because I, I have zero interest in that. Thank you. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in on a Monday. We are back. The Super Bowl is set. Tom Brady going back for the 10th time. His first without the Patriots. Patrick Mahomes is going back for the second year in a row. Bucks, Chiefs, it's going to be a great matchup with a ton of storylines. I mean... You sit there yesterday and you just think about all the topics, all the ideas that are now marinating in in the media's mind and the average fan's mind about the Super Bowl. You've got the young goat against the old goat, the goat of all goats in Mahomes against Brady. It's Brady's just, again, 10th trip to the Super Bowl, a quest for his seventh ring, his unprecedented career, his unprecedented run just continues. Is Tom Brady the greatest in all of sports? Forget just football. Forget just quarterback. Is he the greatest of all time in all sports? These are the debates that people are going to have. These are the conversations that are now open. Can Mahomes, can he get into the Brady conversation already? Can he get into the GOAT conversation if he can win two in a row? It sounds far-fetched, but trust me, There are people thinking about that topic right now. If Patrick Mahomes wins, how how quickly can he ascend into the full GOAT conversation? And oh, by the way, the Bucs are the first team to ever play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. I mean, Tom Brady yesterday, he was not perfect. He was far from it, especially in the second half, but he did enough to win. Black and back, Brady. Those are the other. Caught ball. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. It is Cameron Brate. One play for Brady to do his thing, and Brady spikes the ball, and the Buccaneers lead 27 to 10. Final score was 31 26, so we get all those storylines, right? We got two weeks to sit on that. Now we get the news. Matthew Stafford wants out of Detroit, and Detroit's going to acquiesce and make that uh, make that wish happen, it sounds like. Could he be a fit for the Patriots? Michigan radio host Jim Costa is going to stop by in about 15 minutes. The huge news out of UVM this weekend is the women's hoop team ends its season early. We'll take your thoughts and my thoughts on that. And the Red Sox, just they made a couple of good moves over the weekend, and they fleeced the Yankees today. High and Bloom just broke Brian Cashman's spirit, as far as I'm concerned, with what he did to him today. So we've got all of that to get to today. We'll unpack the weekend as well. So, guys, let's waste no time and get right to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. 
You can always text into the show as well, 802-585-3026. Phil in Middlesex, Dean up in Plattsburgh, they're all on the text line already, so you can join them, 585-3026. My opening thoughts brought to you by Sticks and Stuff in Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online at sticksandstuff.com. You know, I was thinking about this last night when I was really thinking about Tom Brady in general. Where Tom Brady was great for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not just yesterday, but the but the season as a whole, was in the margins. Tom Brady, again, he had three interceptions yesterday in the second half. He had an interception at the, you know, right before the long touchdown pass to Scotty Miller. He threw up a prayer that should have been picked. I mean, Tom Brady was good. He was not perfect yesterday. So don't get it confused. He won the game. His team helped him immensely. He made some huge plays. Other guys made huge plays for him. But football is a team sport, so I'm not here to sit here and try to marginalize what Brady did yesterday. But he was not perfect. But where he was great for this team yesterday and all season long was in the margins. Okay, The Tom Brady story, to me, this year in Tampa is about details and attention to detail. It's also about belief. Brady was great yesterday in the detail-oriented areas. Okay, Again, three interceptions. He was not perfect, but he was great when he had to be in the smallest and finest of moments. On third and fourth down yesterday, he was 10 of 15, the Buccaneers were. The Bucs as a team were 10 of 15 on third and fourth down. Tom Brady led them to greatness when greatness needed to be had. The Buccaneers were two for two scoring touchdowns in the red zone. They got down close. They punched it in. The Packers were two for four in the red zone. They had to settle for field goals. The Buccaneers got touchdowns when they were in the red zone. If the, if the Packers can capitalize in the red zone with a touchdown one more time, they very well may win the game. And Brady was great at the end of the first half, as we have seen him be a zillion times in New England for the last 20 years. He's always great at the end of the half. That Again, he, he did. He got lucky that that ball wasn't picked, but it wasn't picked, so he converts fourth down on the pass to Leonard Fournette, and then he hits the home run ball to Scotty Miller, who goes 40 yards unbelievably, inexplicably bad defense by the Green Bay Packers. How on earth you let um, Scotty Miller get behind you in that situation is completely embarrassing. I mean, the New York Jets fired Greg Williams for a regular season loss to the Raiders, and the Jets were winless because they went with an all-out blitz and they allowed Derek Carr to beat him over the top. The defensive coordinator lost his job for that. Now, I don't know that Mike Pett needs to lose his job, but somebody's got to study the film and somebody's got to be held accountable because that was atrocious. But Brady is great on third and fourth down, great in the red zone, great before the half. Again, a little bit of a bailout on the on the missed pick, but such is life. He continues to be on. He continues to go and get points before the end of the half. And then he was great at the end of the game. Aaron Rodgers has a chance to get the ball back, and Tom Brady does not let him get it back. 
It's a seven-play drive to end the game, something we saw for years here in New England. And you don't think it was a penalty? You don't think it was really pass interference on Kevin King? Tough. Okay? We saw the jersey pool. Don't grab it. Make a legitimate stop, and you get the ball back. But Brady finds a way to play keep away from Aaron Rodgers down the stretch. Tom Brady, the story this year, the story yesterday, is not just that he was very good overall. It was that he was great in the margins when he needed to be. Jameis Winston was the quarterback of the Buccaneers last year, and he did some very good things. Okay, He threw for 5,000 yards last year. He threw 33 touchdowns. That That is a statistically really good year last year from Jameis Winston. But where the Bucs weren't very good last year was in those margins. And that's where Brady makes the difference. The Bucs last year led the league in turnovers with 41. This year, 17. Okay, This year, 17, they're in the, the top 10 in terms of fewest turnovers allowed. A huge turnaround. Brady creates that. Last year, the Buccaneers were, you know, 13th on third down percentage. This year, 8th. Brady creates that. And that five-spot difference is a big difference in how your season goes. Last year, the Buccaneers not very buttoned up. They led the league in penalties. This year, middle of the pack. Brady creates those differences in the margins. He has improved this team so much in those small areas with his attention to detail. He is amazing in general, right? Even though he wasn't amazing yesterday, Brady is amazing in general. But where the difference has been made is in the minutia that Brady focuses on. And there's now the belief that he has instilled in his teammates and the hope that he has given them. Listen to Jenna Lane, who covers the Bucks for ESPN. This is the impact that Tom Brady had in Tampa this year. You know, he has impacted all aspects of this organization. He has bettered those guys. He has given those guys a real sense of confidence. I mean, I think back to to training camp, and, and the Bucks have the youngest secondary in the league. And I, I remember talking to those guys about just how much he was pushing them and help them, helping them. And it wasn't just that, you know, he was challenging them in practice. He was going up to them after practice and letting them, you know, pick his brain about some of the things he was seeing. I think the idea that Tom Brady instilled confidence in his team, right? I've heard a lot of players, whether it was Shaq Barrett or Levante David, um, Devin White, they've all said that Tom Brady being there simply gave them confidence, right? When you have the greatest of all time, you feel like you're going to be better. That That's pretty obvious, though, I think. We knew that that would be the case, but where the Bucks players outside of Brady, I think, really deserve credit is that they bought in to how Brady does things. I truly thought, if you go back to last March at my, at a, at my former employer, I said my biggest worry about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was that Brady was going to be too intense for them and they weren't going to be able to have it to, to handle it. That Brady was going to be too attention or attention to detail oriented. He was going to be too demanding. He was going to be too grading on them and this team was not going to be ready for that in year 1. They were probably going to be better, but they wouldn't be able to commit to Brady's way of thinking fully and they did. And they deserve a lot of credit, whether it's the receiver group, the offensive line group, the running back group. 
they bought into what Brady's doing. And make no mistake, for all the little quips that got made this year about how Brady's happier and the reports of you know what he couldn't couldn't do in New England, Tom Brady brought a lot of the Patriot way to Tampa. And the way that he does things, they're intertwined. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, even if you think they hate each other, their work ethics are intertwined. And Brady brought a lot of that style to Tampa. And his guys in Tampa deserve credit for buying in because I didn't know if they'd be able to. And there's a lot of guys there with big egos and big resumes that had to sacrifice and did it. Rob Gronkowski did it. LaShawn McCoy did it. Leonard Fournette did it. Ronald Jones did it. And that's just running backs and tight ends. And then you get Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Scotty Miller, and they all want a piece of the pie. And Antonio Brown comes in, and guys continue to be able to sacrifice work together and allow Brady to mold them. They deserve a lot of credit. Brady's going to get all the credit, and he deserves a lot too, but his guys who bought in and let him be the way he is, and they adapted to him, that deserves a lot of credit too because I was worried that Brady was going to have to adapt. I was worried that they weren't going to be able to adapt to Brady. Getting a lot on the text line here, 802-585-3026. Steven Faston says, hey, when did the GOAT become the greatest? The GOAT used to be the guy that screwed up Bill Buckner, Chris Weber. Good question. I have no idea. Because, yeah, the GOAT used to be the chump, the guy that screwed it up. I don't know when G-O-A-T, greatest of all time, came around. Good question. But you're right. The GOAT used to be the bad guy. Phil in Berlin Matt LaFleur, the head coach of the Packers, he's the guy that blew it. First of all, LaFleur can't count. He never should have settled for the field goal. They needed six points, not just three, and Rodgers had an open lane for an easy touchdown pass, and he threw it incomplete instead, and they kicked a field goal. Terrible choice by Aaron. Um, I'm not going to bag on Matt LaFleur as bad as everybody else is today. 2.09 left in the game when they, when they kicked the field goal. That's a little bit low on time, but you had all three timeouts and you had the two-minute warning and you had picked Brady three times in the second half. I don't think the kick was as egregious as everybody makes it out to be. I, I just, I don't. I'm also not a fan of the Packers, and I believe that Phil, who texts in, is, so it's going to hit you harder. Like I feel like I can rationalize it more because I wasn't in the moment actively rooting. The math tells me the Packers had a chance to get the ball back. Right, they kick a field goal. They're down 31 to 26, and they have the two-minute warning. They have the three timeouts, and you've stopped Brady. You know most of the second half when you weren't committing, th- you know, turning it over like Aaron Jones did. When you didn't screw up, you were stopping them. And you know it's again, it doesn't hit me as emotionally as it hits the true fan. A couple of other texts in here. Um. Nick from Milton, Brady, you just mentioned penalties as evidence of Brady helping this team be great in the margins. He's not responsible for all penalties and their improvement there. Come on. Well, of course, right? Not always. Now, Brady can't stop defensive pass interference necessarily, but I do believe that the discipline the team plays with this year, I absolutely believe that Brady is a guy who set the tone for this team. The best player and the quarterback – can often dictate culture of a team, and Brady happens to be both, and Brady was able to change that. This team was not disciplined last year. Under Bruce Arians last year, all fun, not a lot of buttoned up. Team goes, I think, 7-9, and nine, misses the playoffs. This year, Brady comes in, 
buttons everything up. Team plays better. Team gets to the playoffs. Team is now in the Super Bowl. I think Brady is the reason why that culture, that discipline, that attention to detail, it comes from the top down. And make no mistake, Tom Brady is on top. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, when we come back, yeah, Tom Brady, he's in the Super Bowl. Surprise, surprise. But who will lead the Patriots to their next Super Bowl? Is that going to be Matthew Stafford? He wants out of Detroit, so we'll go out to Michigan next. Radio host Jim Costa will stop by. Stafford to New England. Does it make sense? That's all next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. to the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Patriots old quarterback headed to the Super Bowl, but we're already focused on the Patriots next quarterback. And sure, maybe it'll be Cam Newton, maybe it's somebody in the draft, but it might also be Matthew Stafford, the longtime Lions quarterback, reportedly wants out of Detroit. Detroit's going to reportedly try to make that happen and break it all down with us as Lions expert, longtime Michigan radio host, Jim Costa. Jim, man, how are you? Hey, Brady, this is a long time coming. Happy to be on. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you joining me. And, man, tell me, how did it get to this point where Matthew Stafford and the Lions are ready to part ways? Yeah, I mean, listen, people in Michigan and Detroit are viewing this as amicable uh, Matthew Stafford was had the tar beat out of him for over a decade in Detroit, and we never really had an inclination that he wanted out. He was kind of a team guy. I mean, he played in a meaningless Week 17 game this this season, even though he was battered and bruised. I didn't suspect he would want out, although nobody in Michigan blames him. I mean, he's yeah. played over a decade for the Detroit Lions, and they have given him one top 10 defense, and they've consistently ranked near the bottom, if not dead last in rushing. So the support hasn't been there for a quarterback that I think is is underrated, and we may see that if and when now he leaves the Lions. Do Lions fans, are they ready for this? Are they tired of Matthew Stafford? Yes and no. I mean, listen, you know this as a radio host. Like, he's one of those lightning rod guys. Like, every yeah. city and every market has him where you can throw the name out, attach a story to him, and half the fan base feels one way and half feels the other. Um, I think the the common refrain I see and hear is, well, it might not be his fault, but it's time for a fresh start. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the lane that most people can be characterized as. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, it wasn't his fault they weren't a good football team. But at this stage, a lot of people are looking for a fresh start with a new GM and a new head coach and a new quarterback. What are Lions fans or what, what should the Lions be looking for in return in a Matthew Stafford trade? Because I hear first round pick, but then I look and see Alex Smith, who is about the same age, coming off a very similar uh, season, netted a third round pick and a starting nickel defensive back. Like, what are the realistic expectations for a Stafford return? Now, you would say that as someone who wants him on your football team. Of course team, I right? would. You want to get him for third round pick. Come on. <laughs> Um, I think a first is kind of where the conversation starts. And I'll give you some other examples. Carson Palmer was 33 years old, I think. Stafford will be 33 in in February. A first and a second round pick was the haul for Carson Palmer. Hmm. Um, You guys, the Patriots, you traded Drew Bledsoe uh, for a first round pick back in 2002, I think it was. That was just one first round pick. Uh, I know Jake Cutler went for two first round picks when he went from Denver to Chicago. And I would tell you, Jamal Adams, a safety, not even a quarterback, went for two first round picks this offseason. So if I'm the Lions, we're starting with one first. We're hoping the market is in, in desperate need of a quarterback. And you can argue for a first and a second. If you're greedy, 
here's where I come at it from the Lions standpoint. Two first round picks. That's where we'll start the negotiation. Oh How many teams do you think are going to come call them? The Patriots have the number 15 pick, but there's other quarterbacks kind of hovering around the top or other teams hovering around the top 10 who need quarterbacks. Who's coming calling for this? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the 49ers are a team that everybody links the idea of getting Shanahan a real quarterback that he doesn't uh, cower in the two minute drill with Jimmy Garoppolo in the Super Bowl, but instead has someone with the most game winning drives in the NFL the last decade and Matthew Stafford. What a difference that would make. I know I say that stat and I said it kind of quick. Most game winning drives since 2010 is Matthew Stafford, not Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees. It's Matthew Stafford. That's because all those teams are playing from ahead. They don't, their quarterbacks don't need to come back. What a concept, though, if you're the 49ers <laughs> and you had him in, in the Super Bowl, what a difference that would have made. So I think the Niners make sense. The Colts make sense. An indoor dome team with a good line and a good defense. They've had instability, three different quarterbacks the last three years. Those two jump out. Uh, the Saints don't have the cap space, but clearly that would be a fit. Uh, the Patriots, as you mentioned, is a pretty obvious one. Uh, I mean, really, there, there's no – I mean, the Panthers are a team that could upgrade a quarterback with Matthew Stafford. Um, I mean, go down the line. I could probably give you a few more if we sit here long enough. I think there is a desperate need for quarterback. We see it every year in the draft where teams mortgage their future and trade up for guys like E.J. Manuel and Christian Ponder. Yeah, there's going to be demand for Matthew Stafford. Jim Costa, a longtime Michigan radio host with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. So Stafford's former head coach, Matt Patricia, is now back in New England in a, you know, on, a, on the staff doing a various amount of roles. Does that help or hurt the cause of getting Stafford to New England? Do we know about what his relationship with Patricia is? Nothing that I can say concrete. I, I feel like I was just speaking in hearsay to say that he had – a good or bad relationship with Matt Patricia. If it was me, I would feel like I was robbed of some of my prime years with Matt Patricia as my head coach. The Lions are coming off a stretch where the last two seasons they had, uh, if not this last year was the worst season in the history of Detroit Lions football defensively in terms of yards and points. And the year before they were, it was the third worst season. So you're talking about a two year stretch where the Lions have never played worse defense in their history. And I know I'm not talking to Lions fans, you guys know they're a losing franchise, right? Like yeah. historically losing. And I'm telling you, Patricia was the architect of the worst defense in the history <laughs> of the franchise. If I'm Stafford, Patricia's not a plus. Belichick is the plus. Belichick is the, the straw that stirs that drink in New England. I wouldn't think Patricia would be a selling point at all. We've seen the Texans try to steal the, quote, Patriot way and have it fail. And we've seen the Lions try to take the Patriot way and have it fail, whether it be an upper management or Matt Patricia or stealing Trey Flowers, Jamie Collins, Danny Amendola, and others. Why? Why? Everyone's trying to recreate the Patriots. It's pretty hard to do that, Jim. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've been listening to, to the last, what, three, two and a half, three years of what we've been dealing with yeah. in Michigan. <laughs> Belichick's not holding anybody's hand. And it's really obvious when you hire some of those assistants or executives. You know, I thought, hey, maybe they'd have a chance because they they had a franchise quarterback. Not all those Patriots assistants leave and are, and are given that to work with, but it's become more and more obvious. If you don't have Belichick, don't count on much success. What do you mean Belichick's not holding anybody's hand? What do you mean by that? I mean, like when you when you get. Like we look at Matt Patricia in New England and you think, boy, that defense was really nice. And they, no matter who they lost, they could reload. Well, it wasn't because Matt Patricia is a, a genius, a rocket scientist, yeah. right? It's because Bill Belichick is the guy making those decisions, holding his hand, right? So technically, 
Patricia had a title of DC, right? And 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 you guys would know better than me the responsibilities on a week to week basis. But when you have Belichick looming to come in and make the adjustments, to come in and, and scan the report and make sure that everything's buttoned up for game day, when you don't have him holding your hand, when you're the head coach, you get exposed for what you are. And I think that's what happened to Matt Patricia. The Dan Campbell era is already started now in Detroit. What are Lions fans thinking moving forward? A lot of kneecaps to bite off, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, he's a rah-rah guy. And and I think that soundbite made the rounds on national and, and even local radio. But I think the rest of his press conference, he was very humble. He said, I want people to challenge me. He, uh, he wants there to be accountability. He doesn't want to make empty promises. He came across very real and raw, and I think it connected with people in Detroit. Now, he's not an expert X's and O's guy, and I think that's going to be the criticism. He did bring in Anthony Lynn, former head coach from the Chargers, to run his offense. I think that got people uh, – brought some people around that maybe weren't as thrilled with the hire initially. And uh, I expect kind of a – you look at the blueprint of his staff, a very Parcells-esque. You talk about trying to do it the Patriot way – they're going to try to do it from the Parcells tree now. Uh, Campbell's a Parcells guy. Lynn is a Parcells guy. And uh, and their D.C. Aaron Glenn comes yeah. from the Saints. Also has some roots in the Parcell tree. Jim, I'll get you out of here on this total th- total 180. Um, I think the Red Sox are headed for a really bad season. I think they're a 75-win team right now with best in that division. Who has more wins, the Red Sox or the Tigers? Oh, man. So what you're doing right now – is you're, you're just putting salt in the wound because the Lions are rebuilding. The Tigers are rebuilding. Don't watch the Pistons or the Red Wings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know when the Bruins play them, you probably will. I know when the Celtics play them, you'll be forced to. But all the teams in Detroit are rebuilding right now. I, I think the Tigers might be the best of that group with some of their, their top prospects that will be coming up this season. But I don't think they're winning 75 games. I think we're both going to be in the cellar hanging out this summer. Well, the Red Sox fans can, you know, they – They've earned a little time in the cellar through all the good faith that they've had. So it's not like it is for Detroit fans. So Jim Costa, longtime Michigan radio host, Lions expert, man. Hey, we appreciate the time. We'll follow the Matthew Stafford situation. And we'll bring you back on if, uh, if something breaks here in the next couple of months. Would love to. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. There goes Jim Costa. Sat next to him once at a sports radio conference. Really bright guy, really smart guy, and uh, delivering us with some great insight here on the Brady Farkas Show. The Matthew Stafford stuff is interesting. We're going to get to our takeaways from that on the other side of the, um, you know, about 620 or so like we usually do. But text line, up to you, 802-585-3026. What do you think about the idea of Matthew Stafford in Foxborough? And how much would you give up to bring Stafford to New England? We get Travis up in Essex who says, Brady, if I'm the Colts, I have Matthew Stafford on line one. He's a dome team, high-end head coach, winnable division, built-in running game, built-in offensive line, top 10 defense, and a somewhat ready receiving core. Absolutely. If I'm the Indianapolis Colts, I am also calling for Matthew Stafford. I'd call on Carson Wentz, but I know there's obviously some financial implications there. I'd 100% call on Matthew Stafford if I were the uh, the Colts. They've lost Jacoby Brissett to free agency, and they've lost Phillip Rivers now to retirement. They only have Jacob Eason, who they drafted out of Washington um, in the draft this past year, I think in the third round, maybe the fourth. So 100% I call them. The Colts made the playoffs, though, so they have an even lower draft pick than the Patriots do. So the thing I don't want for New England is a bidding war. If it was about just trading the number 15 pick, I do it. And I mean, I'll tell you that that's going to be what, you know, in part of our talk and our takeaways from our Jim Costa interview 
if it was just about the number 15 pick, I'd, I'd give it up. But I do worry about a bidding war when you get a team like the Colts who thinks they're ready, and maybe Denver and Carolina. There's all these teams that need quarterbacks that think they might be a quarterback away. Dean in Plattsburgh says, hmm, if only there was a loyal listener who mentioned two weeks ago Stafford might be going to the Patriots. Hmm, who could that have been? Well, Dean, you might have said it two weeks ago. We've been talking about Stafford for like two and a half months here on this show, and I think my tune has changed on the Matthew Stafford to New England. And again, we'll get to that on the other side of the top of the hour. What we'll do, we'll step aside. We'll get the update from CBS News. And then when we come back, we will have the uh, takeaways from our Jim Costa interview. And we'll hear from you guys about what you think about Matthew Stafford. But UVM women's basketball shuts it down. Their season is over. I'll tell you why I am 100% okay with that decision. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby and online always at sticksandstuff.com. This is Field Yates of ESPN and you're listening to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. All right, welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. A couple of housekeeping notes. Reminder to subscribe to the full show podcast. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Our staff does just a great job of getting the show out about 10 minutes after it's over. They are incredibly fast at getting it up on that podcast channel. Also, a programming note tonight. At 6.55, we will be going live to the impeachment article stuff against former President Trump. So uh, we won't miss any minutes of our show here, but at 6.55, instead of going to break, we will send it right to the impeachment articles being brought about against President Trump. Then we will have Dinner Jazz uh, joined in in progress there. Should be at about 7.15 or so. Tonight's proceeding should be about 20 minutes. All right, A, a lot of football, but a very important local story over the weekend, the UVM women's basketball team has shut down for the rest of the season. And I want your take on this. 802-585-3026. Do you agree with the decision? Do you like the decision? Does the decision bother you? UVM women's basketball shuts down their season with a 4-2 and record. There will be no playoffs, no conference tournament. The season is over. I have to say, after hearing today's press conference, and I sat in on the entirety of today's press conference virtually with UVM administrators and with head coach Elisa Kresge, after sitting in on that, I am 100% okay with the UVM women's basketball team's decision. This was a player-driven decision. This was not forced upon them by the administrators or by the coaching staff. The players decided this, and I am okay with it. Let's get this understanding out of the way first. There is no one-size-fits-all to this college sports season. There is no answer that is, quote, right for everyone. I have no problem with UVM women's basketball shutting it down, and I also have no problem with UVM teams that are still playing. These programs individually are doing what is right for them. 
There is no right answer overall. I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter that said, UVM women made the right call. Everybody else needs to shut it down too. That is not the case. Okay, That is where I draw the line with people on this topic. I can support UVM women shutting it down just like I can support all the other UVM teams that are still playing or will play in the future. There is no one-size-fits-all in this most unusual season. But after listening to head coach Elisa Kresge speak, it's clear that for this team, everything just became too much this year. The unknowns, really. It was the unknowns. Unknowns of, can we stay healthy? What would it mean for their future if they individually got sick? What does it mean? Do we have games? Do we not have games? It was just the, the culmination of the unknown just took its toll. And this kind of mature decision that was rele- that was reached by the players, it should be applauded. It should not be criticized. This UVM team was 4-2. and two. They were in the top half of the league. They could have hosted games in the conference tournament. They could have won games in the conference tournament. They gave up that opportunity. Think about how hard that is. Think about how hard that must have been to give that up. It's easy, right? It's easy to pack it in when you're 2-10. If they were 0-6, you'd probably say, you know what, hey, we're just not that good. We're just going to call it a day. We don't feel like dealing with everything. This team was 4-2. and two. This team had real goals in front of it, and they gave that away. It just wasn't worth it to them anymore. And think about how hard it is to be the only winner sports team at UVM to do this, Okay, to stand out. While women's hockey is still playing and men's basketball is still playing and men's hockey is still playing, you're going to be the one that goes against the grain. Think about how hard that is. We all know if you're listening and you think about what it was like to be between the ages of 18 and 22, you care drastically what other people think of you. So to be able to make this decision looking around at the other athletes saying, yeah, we're going to bail while you guys do it, that takes a lot of courage, and it should be respected, and it should be defended. I mean, and also, like, think about the idea of just letting your teammates down. There's the, there's the thought of letting down the university. There's the thought of letting down your coaching staff. There's the thought of, you know, being looked down upon by other athletes or other students. And then there's just letting down your teammates. And that is what the administrator said was a really hard part of this, is that obviously I'm sure there were people that wanted to play still and there were players that didn't want to play. And I'm sure it was difficult to have those conversations. But a lot of people just don't want to let down their teammates. And think about how hard that would is how hard that would be to come to this conclusion knowing it may affect some teammates negatively. And it's clear after hearing the conversation, it didn't, this decision did not come easy. Coach Kresge again. Didn't happen overnight. Um, There's a lot, a lot of factors that went into this. Each player really has been battling with, with different factors. Um, But as a collective group, they realized at this point, continuing wasn't in their best interest. I think it's very admirable. Text line is open. 802-585-3026. We got some here that I'll get to momentarily. I think it's very admirable what these players decided. And I think it's admirable that the school and the coaching staff allowed these players to have a voice. One of the issues 
with college sports is that players feel like part of a machine, right? Players feel like they are there to be used. And I think the players in a lot of times understand that, that they're there to draw revenue, but they oftentimes don't have a voice. And these athletes on the UVM women's basketball team had a voice. And the athletic department deserves to be commended for that, as does the coaching staff, and as do the players for using that voice. I mean, head coach Elisa Kresge spoke about the toll that this has taken on players. There's, you know, there's positives, cases, positive cases that have happened within the program, and there are players actually worrying about their health. There's quarantine needed for players who did test positive or for players who may have been exposed. There's the strict adherence to policy and protocol that just mentally weighs on you. And I think there's a mental exhaustion that was part of this program this year. I think the term frustration really comes to mind when I think about this team and when I think about what I heard today from the press conference. I think this team was frustrated by the stops and starts. Are we playing? Are we not? Who can we be around? Oh, this teammate went and did this thing. Are they safe now to be around? There's a mental toll that this season took. And by the way, I am not here to virus shame anybody. Okay, Everybody has a different feeling on the coronavirus. Coach Kresge talked about, again, some people who were worried about what if they got the virus and the long-term issues that they may have health-wise and what would happen to them. And I'm sure, what if I gave it to a family member? It absolutely could take a toll on you. I think they gave it their all. They really did. Uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, they gave it their all. Um, but just it just outweighed, you know, the, the, the fear outweighed continuing to do this. And there's things that we don't even know about the process of getting ready to play this year. She said her team hasn't seen their family since July, and that is really hard to overcome for a college student. Look, I didn't go home every weekend in college, right? I went home a couple of times a semester, but I had the chance. These athletes haven't had the chance. You talk about spending the holidays here, not able to go home and abiding by the governor's um, quarantine rules. They could not leave. They were isolated. They have been isolated. And that is hard to overcome. A couple of texts coming in. Again, 802-585-3026. I hear from Maggie in White River Junction. Brady, I'm proud of what these girls decided. We just don't need sports right now. All of UVM should shut down. Again, Maggie, I disagree there. That is that is the comment where I have to draw the line. There, again, is no one-size-fits-all here. This was right for them, and that is okay. It is admirable, and I support it. But the programs that do play at UVM, they should not be shamed for continuing. The state has a protocol which allows them to play. The university has a protocol which allows them to play when when safe to do so. Right now they're on pause until February 4th. The NCAA has allowed play. If they want to play and they are able to complete their seasons, they should not have that held against them. Wilson from Northfield, Brady, disappointed we don't get to watch this team anymore, but proud of the decision these women made. I support them, exclamation point. And Tommy from Richmond, good question. Brady, do you think we could see other teams do this? 
other teams at UVM, I assume you mean, Tommy. Um, I don't think so. I don't think you'll see other teams do this. Um, Jeff Shulman, the athletic director, did say in this press conference that other teams have had conversations about what's going on around them. I think men's basketball sticks it out. Okay, They have goals of a conference championship and an NCAA tournament appearance, and I think that that drives this team. Not to say that the women's basketball program isn't motivated to win, because of course they are, and they were winning. But I think men's basketball has, has designs on the NCAA tournament, and they want to get there. They also... They also have more seniors than the women's basketball team does. And I think, again, that idea of letting down your teammates, I think that will play more of a factor in the men's basketball team's decision because there's just there's more guys that might play their last game and not get that chance. So um, Josie Larkins is the only senior on the women's team. She's applied for grad school, and because of the eligibility waiver, she she could easily be back next year on the women's basketball program, and you wouldn't be ending someone's career. There's more of that on the men's program, so I think that would factor in. I think women's hockey is playing its best hockey ever. I think that they're going to stick it out because they want to do something special, something that's never been done in their program before. I mean, they're 5-1 and one right now inside Hockey East play. That's their best start ever. And I think on the men's side, I think these players want to be a part of the building process. It sounds corny, but they're – Right, Their record isn't good. They're not going anywhere this year. But I think they want to be a part of the shift at UVM, and they want that shift to happen earlier. And if they can finish this season, I think they want to. That is how I would feel about it. I am not representative of 25 Division One male hockey players, but that is how I would feel about it. I think both sides are, are commendable on how they – I think all sides are commendable on how they handle it. If you want to play and stick it out in the face of adversity, do it. And if you want to – bag the season. I do not think it means that this team, this program, or those players are anything lesser than people who do stick it out. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Again, text line is open, 802-585-3026. All right, we just spoke to Jim Costa, longtime Michigan radio host and Detroit Lions expert, and we talked to him about the idea of the Patriots trading for Matthew Stafford. Well, Jim, what exactly would it cost to acquire Stafford in your mind? You're, you're, you guys, the Patriots. You traded Drew Bledsoe uh, for a first round pick back in 2002, I think it was. Yeah. That was just one first round pick. Uh, I know Jake Cutler went for two first round picks when he went from Denver to Chicago. And I would tell you, Jamal Adams, a safety, not even a quarterback, went for two first-round picks this offseason. So if I'm the Lions, we're starting with one first. We're hoping the market is in, in desperate need of a quarterback, and you can argue for a first and a second. If you're greedy, here's where I come at it from the Lions' standpoint. Two first-round picks. That's where we'll start the negotiation. Oh okay, two first-round picks to me is absurd for Matthew Stafford. I'm out if that's the price it would take to acquire him. What do you think on the text line? What would you give for the Patriots to end up with Matthew Stafford? Again, Jim wants two first-round picks. He's a Lions fan. I'm not giving him two first-round picks. That's never going to happen from me in New England. Stafford's going to be 33 years old. He's never advanced to a conference championship. I don't even believe Matthew Stafford has ever won a playoff game. I mean, guys, let's get the verification on that here. Um, But Matthew Stafford's been in the league for 12 years and has – 
never really done anything of consequence other than create a whole lot of stats and throw for some big numbers. Um, in the playoffs, Matthew Stafford is 0-3. He has never won a playoff game, and he's got four touchdowns and three interceptions. So he's that kind of productivity is not netting me two first-round picks. And Jim does what radio hosts do, right? He brings you statistics to fit his narrative. He wants first-round picks, so he tells you Bledsoe was a first-round pick and Jay Cutler was a first-round pick. Look at the ages, Jim. Drew Bledsoe was 29 years old when he went from New England to Buffalo. Four years younger, uh, three and a half years younger than Matthew Stafford is. I'm not I'm not giving up two first-round picks for Stafford. And you're going to tell me Bledsoe netted one, so Stafford should get two. Bledsoe was younger, three and a half years. Jay Cutler was 26 years old when he was traded from Denver to, uh, to, to Chicago. I mean, so that's not a comparison. The comparison for me is Alex Smith. Alex Smith was 33, about to be 34. He was one year more advanced than, than Stafford, coming off a very similar season than Stafford had this year. Alex Smith went for a third-round pick and a nickel defensive back. Alex Smith, nearly the same age, nearly the same productivity in the prior season, went for a third-round pick and a nickel defensive back. Do not tell me you want two first-round picks from Matthew Stafford because I will never, ever do that. I originally said, this is like months ago, I originally said I would not bring Stafford to New England because it just wouldn't be worth it. But if the Patriots want to give up a third-round pick and a player like for Alex Smith, I'm pretty okay with that. Like, there's almost no player I wouldn't give up for Stafford. I mean, somewhere on my roster there is, right? Like, I'd like to keep Kyle Duggar, but at the end of the day, I mean, maybe J.C. Jackson, but I don't even know about him. He's a restricted free agent. He's going to get big money in the next year. Maybe rather than pay him, I just, hey, see what happened with Malcolm Butler? We got rid of him, and he seemed to be okay. There's almost no player I can think of that I wouldn't give up with a third-round pick to go get Matthew Stafford. Conversely, also, if the Patriots want to give up pick number 15 in the draft and only pick number 15 in the draft, I'm okay with that too. I have advocated moving up in the draft and giving up multiple picks to go get a rookie quarterback this year. So if I'm willing to trade up to get an unknown, I will give up pick number 15 and get Matthew Stafford and keep the rest of my picks. The problem is how many other teams are going to come calling with better first-round picks or a higher combination of draft picks. I mean, that bidding war is a real thing here. Denver, Carolina, um, they both can give better than the than, than the Patriots can. What would the Colts give per Travis's text? They're probably going to give more than New England will. So I like Stafford. I think with him, the Patriots have potential to be interesting again. Two years of team control, which is more than one, but not a lot. The team still doesn't have a lot of weapons. If they're going to do this, they have to, again, make the commitment to do it. Stafford's affordable enough. Even though you know I like the rookie quarterback deal system, they have enough cap space. Stafford is affordable enough that they can get back to relevancy. 
They'll kick their quarterback issues down the road. At some point, they will have to invest in a young quarterback. But Stafford could make them a playoff team if they do all the other stuff. I firmly believe that. If all it costs was number 15 in the draft, I'd do it instantly. And I see a couple of other texts here. Uh, David, um, David, Marcus, Liam, they all say, yes, we'd give up number 15, but we don't want to give up much more than that. Uh, Travis says, how about the Colts giving up their first and a third? Would that get the deal done? Well, that, I'm not willing to do that kind of deal for the Patriots. That I'm not willing to do. The Colts are trying to win the Super Bowl. I don't think with Stafford, the Patriots are trying to win the Super Bowl. So um, if the Colts were going to give up a first and a third, now it's a lower first and a lower third. I mean, the Lions still may be able to get better than that, but I would say off the top of my head, a first and a third, yeah, that probably would get it done, and that would dwarf the Patriots, and that's okay. I'm not willing to go that far for a guy with two years of team control. If I'm going to give up multiple picks, then I'm just going to trade up into the draft, into the top 10, and I'll have a guy for five years of team control rather than two. The Colts are a ready-made Super Bowl contender, so that would make a lot of sense for them to mortgage some of the future, it doesn't make a lot of sense for the Patriots. I think with Matthew Stafford, the Pats are still a 9-10 to 10 win team tops. Now the Patriots have a bit of an easier schedule next year, right? They're going to play the third place schedule uh, in the AFC. They're playing different divisions than they did last uh, than they did this past season. I think they play the AFC North No, they're going to play the AFC South and they're going to play the NFC, oh man, uh, I think the NFC South. So slightly easier schedule, at least at first think, you know, first thought off the top of my head. Um, there's kind of three questions, though, on the Stafford to New England debate. How much does Matt Patricia help or hurt the Patriots' chances here? Um. Jim Costa was not a did not think that Patricia being in Foxborough would be a selling point to get Stafford to want to come there. Nothing that I can say concrete. I I feel like I was just speaking in hearsay to say that he had a good or bad relationship with Matt Patricia. If it was me, I would feel like I was robbed of some of my prime years with Matt Patricia as my head coach. Patricia's not a plus. Belichick is the plus. Belichick is the, the straw that stirs that drink in New England. I wouldn't think Patricia would be a selling point at all. I think Patricia helps the Patriots more than he helps Stafford. That There's really no doubt in my mind that that's the case. I don't know that Stafford likes, dislikes Patricia, but even so, a guy who's a defensive guy at heart, I don't know that that's going to have any impact on Stafford. But, but Patricia can give the Patriots insight on Stafford's game, his mind, his health, his ability. This That factor is better for the Patriots than it is for Stafford. Number two, the thing to monitor about this is it may not necessarily be Stafford coming to New England, but the Stafford situation could manifest itself in New England somehow. If Stafford goes to San Francisco and Jimmy Garoppolo gets cut, well, Jimmy Garoppolo very well could end up back in New England. So... If it's not Stafford, the dominoes could lead somebody to Foxborough as well. And number three, this is a question that I don't know the answer to yet. 
I want to know the answer, but I don't know it. Can I get 80% of Matthew Stafford's productivity just by signing Ryan Fitzpatrick? So let me think about that. If I trade, let's just say I trade pick number 15 for Stafford, and I'm going to pay him, you know, $23 million. Could I keep my pick, sign Fitzpatrick for $12 million, and get 80% of the, the productivity? I don't know the answer. My gut tells me I'd rather just give up number 15 for Stafford, but if you're going to make me give up more than that, then I'm out, and I will start to look at Fitzmagic. And I'd also I could also bring back Cam, but again, that's kind of under the assumption that I'm not really trying to compete next year. If I bring in Stafford, I'm trying to compete. If I kind of left out of the dance, then maybe I go back to Cam. So uh, what do you guys think? Would you guys be in favor of trading for Stafford or maybe even signing a Fitzpatrick? Again, pick number 15 only, I'm in. If you start to get me more than that and try to get more out of me, I'm not going to play the bidding war with you. That's when I'll go back to the stopgap guy and I'll start to build up everything around a quarterback and I'll try to trade up. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, why don't we step aside? We'll come back. We'll unpack the weekend beyond football. High and Bloom fleeced Brian Cashman today. The Red Sox, the Red Sox may not be the Yankees a whole lot on the schedule this year. They just crushed them in the offseason. That's coming up next right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Remember, the governor's COVID-19 response news conference, usually tomorrow, will not be tomorrow. So instead of Tuesday this week, it will be Wednesday and Friday. So that's a programming note here on WDEV. Again, governor's news conference Wednesday this week. We'll have it for you at 11 a.m. There you go. There's the music. We get to unpacking the weekend right now. Guys, give me number one. One. Number one. Red Sox made three moves of the weekend, all of which are good, one of which is great. So they signed right-handed pitcher Garrett Richards. I mean, and what's not to love about this move? He's 32 years old. He's been a frontline starter in this league before. He was the ace of the Angels for two years, ended up getting hurt. He's battled injuries. He's the classic buy-low move that I've been advocating for all offseason. 32 years old, still with some upside there. It's a one-year deal, low risk if he flames out. If he flames out, okay, so what? It would only cost you $10 million. That's it. If he's great, move him at the deadline for a prospect. And, by the way, there's an option for a second year on this deal, so meaning you could keep him into next year and then trade him next year at the deadline for a prospect. He's He pitched decent enough for the Padres last year, a team that went to the playoffs. He pitched as a starter for 10 games and out of the pen for his last four throws hard. I mean, this is the exact kind of move the Red Sox should be making. They should Martin Perez, who they bring in Garrett Richards, who they bring in. These guys are not going to make the Red Sox win 92 games this year. I still think they're a 75 win or less, you know, 75 wins or less team, but I might be able to up that depending on other kind of moves they make. They are now doing better 
in the offseason than they were just a bit ago. They're not trying to win the World Series. Sam Kennedy was right when he told you that. But they might be able to hit on some guys that can do good things for them here over the course of the season or maybe turn into prospects subsequently. The move that was great was made earlier today. The the, the Red Sox and High and Bloom, they fleeced the New York Yankees. So the Red Sox trade for right-handed reliever Adam Adovino. Adam Adovino was like one of the Yankees' biggest free agent acquisitions a couple of off-seasons ago. He was great in 2019. He had a 1-9 ERA. He was lousy last year in a shortened season. Okay, so what? I'll excuse that. That's fine. Adam Adovino, did the Red Sox just get him given to them by the Yankees? The Yankees said, hey, we're going to dump this guy solely because we don't want to pay him $8.5 million. All of a sudden, the New York Yankees, who are trying to win a World Series, are cost-cutting and penny-pinching. I mean, this is absurd. This is absolutely absurd. The Yankees have questions in their starting rotation. If you have questions in your rotation, which they do, Kluber is no given, Herman is no given, Severino's rehab from Tommy John is no given. If you have questions in your rotation, what's the best way to alleviate that? Have a great bullpen. Contra- or, uh, uh, Aurelis Chapman's getting older. Zach Britton's getting older. Adam Adovino was also getting older, but... The more really good guys that are down there as options, the better things are for Aaron Boone. And they just got rid of Adam Adovino for nothing. Really nothing. Just money. This was solely a cost-cutting move for the Yankees. So the Red Sox get a good reliever who was a great chance at a bounce-back year. If Adam Adovino is the Adam Adovino of 2019, he's probably the Red Sox' best or second-best reliever. Maybe could even be their closer. Like, Adam Adovino could be that good. And him... With, with a good Matt Barnes and Darwins and Hernandez, there's now something to like at the back end of that Red Sox bullpen. If Adovino's good, then I've got a good bullpen piece. Also, I've got a guy who can move at the deadline. Relievers are always able to be moved at the deadline. You can go net a prospect. One-year deal for Adovino, I trade him for a prospect or I keep him through the year, but either way, something good can happen to me if Adovino's good. And if he's not good... Well, okay. All it cost me was $8.5 million. No big deal. The money doesn't matter to me. I've told Heim Bloom, use your money resources this offseason. Don't trade prospects. Use your money resources. But the kicker in all this is that in order, in, with the Red Sox taking on Adovino's money, the Yankees were so desperate to get rid of Adovino's money, they then threw in a prospect to the Red Sox as a thank you. So the Red Sox get a 23-year-old pitcher who's going to slot in as a mid-level prospect for them, who's almost major league ready, who's going to have six years of team control, and it's a wild card. And if he hits, great. You just stole him from the Yankees. And if he doesn't, fine. But these are the kind of moves the Red Sox should be making right now. They get a good reliever that can help them this year or be trade bait. And they get a wild card prospect who they just scoop up basically for $8.5 million. That's 100%. That is a home run by High and Bloom. I mean, that's embarrassing that the Yankees did this. I mean, really, that is absolutely embarrassing that the Yankees went out and did this. The Yankees are trying to win the World Series, and you got rid of a player who's been incredible as recently as a year ago. Uh, recently as two seasons ago all for the sake of saving $8 million. I guess 
if you think you can go find a better reliever on the market for $8 million, then do it. But there are not that many out there that are coming in with the track record of Adam Adovino. Red Sox third move of the weekend was they signed second baseman Kike Hernandez. This is the move I like the least, but it's still good. It's fine. Two years, $14 million. Not a big money deal. Another guy that can be traded potentially. No big deal there. Could net you a prospect or he just plays well for you. Not a long-term deal. He's not blocking anybody. He can play anywhere in the diamond. He slots in probably at second base. He's a good athlete, plays with energy, can hit for some power. Okay, so all that's good. He's a better hitter against lefties than righties, so we'll see how he slots in there if there's any kind of platoon, but I think he's going to get to start. My only worry about this is that the lineup for the Red Sox is now predominantly right-handed. J.D. Martinez, Christian Vasquez, Kike Hernandez, Xander Bogarts, Bobby Dahlbeck, Hunter Renfro, Michael Chavis, they're all right-handed. The lefties right now were Benatendi, Verdugo, Endeavors. I mean, that's kind of where we're at right now. So this team is a um, very right-handed hitting lineup right now. Very light, a very right-handed hitting lineup. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But Hernandez is good, not great. It's the move I like least, but I love the move that they made today to go get out of Vino. All right, unpacking the weekend. Number two. Number two, the Super Bowl is set. Patrick Mahomes is going back. Tom Brady is going back. Second time for Mahomes. Tenth time for Brady. It's going to be a great matchup. These two teams met in the regular season. There was a showdown. You know, it was a it was all offense in that one. Mahomes came out on top. We'll see what happens here. Um, it's amazing we've gotten to this point. For the NFL didn't handle COVID completely right. They didn't. Okay, we can all acknowledge that. They didn't handle COVID completely right, but here we are. We've played 255 of our 256 games, and it's still going to require discipline by players, coaches, and everyone to get game 256 in as it's supposed to be played. But we are here, and you know I'm thankful we've had a season. I'm thankful that it has gone not without challenge, but largely it has been, you know, I think, done well again not perfect but largely it's been done well now we're gonna get Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes the new goat against the goat of goats and uh I can't wait I cannot wait for it so uh that's gonna be February 7th February 7th hard to believe and no radio row this year and it makes sense that the Super Bowl committee has canceled radio row and if you don't know what Radio Row is, then let me tell you real quick. It's it's an unbelievable scene. So every year, there's basically a giant community center, whether it's a, a civic center or whether it's a conference building or whatever. And there's 300 radio stations that go and congregate there, and they do their shows from radio. They call it Radio Row. And you have 300 radio stations there from all varying sizes all around the country. There's some from Canada. There's some international flavor there as well. And the who's who of former players and current players and actors and musicians, they are all just milling around, and they're there to be interviewed. And I've been to Radio Row four times now. I went to it once in San Francisco. That was for Broncos Panthers in the Super Bowl. I've been to it in... Minneapolis, that was for Patriots Eagles. I've been to it in Houston, that was Patriots Falcons. 
and I've been to it in Atlanta. That was Patriots Rams. So last year was the first year, um, really, since I kind of got into the business full time that I haven't been. And obviously this year it's not going on, but uh, it would have been an unbelievable experience to go again this year and cover the Bucks in their home city and cover Tom Brady not as a member of the Patriots. So uh, um, no Radio Row this year. We'll do our best to kind of simulate a Radio Row feel, bring you some more guests than usual maybe, bring you some interesting guests, You know, kind of keep up with that Radio Row mentality. Reminder, we're 11 minutes away. We're going to send you to the uh, articles being brought about against President Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump. I guess that, you know, someone on the text line, I think I just call everybody president. If they've been president, I call them president. So whether it's former, I don't know what to say anymore. Like, I can't just say, hey, Doug Flutie is a former Heisman Trophy winner. Well, once he was the Heisman Trophy winner, he is always a Heisman Trophy winner. So when I keep saying this, oh, it's brought about against former President Trump, I think I would say always against you know President Trump, President Carter, President Reagan, President Lincoln, President Bush, President Clinton. That is how I view it. Somebody tell me on the text line who's more politically inclined than me, Can I do I have to say former President Trump or can I say President Trump? Because I just want to call everybody who's been president, president. Even if they're not currently president, I just think they're still president. Someone can tell me what they think is the proper way to handle that. But nonetheless, the articles of impeachment against Donald Trump being read now exactly 10 minutes from now. So we will have that for you on WDEV. All right, we do it every single day. Let's get to crazy Twitter takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah, they can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The, the internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! All right. Crazy Twitter takes here on the Brady Farkas show. You know who you are. Many of you out there blaming the referees and saying that the referees gifted Tom Brady a trip to the Super Bowl yesterday. You didn't like the pass interference call on Kevin King. Pass interference, defense, number 20. The ball we placed at the spot of the foul. First down, Tampa Bay. Kevin King wears number 20. And the Bucks get a huge first down viability on third down and four. So a lot of you think the league is in bed with Brady and they wanted Brady to play at home in the Super Bowl and they wanted Brady against Mahomes and everyone's out to get the, you know, Brady has the refs in his back pocket. Okay. Let this be known. There's a lot of things about me that new listeners are learning. I don't do the ref screwed us talk. I, just, I don't do it. I refuse to do that. Because one play and one call does not decide a game of this magnitude. Okay, The refs did not allow Tampa Bay to go 10 of 15 on third and fourth down. The refs didn't allow Chris Godwin to make an unbelievable catch on third down. The refs didn't allow Chris Godwin to take a small dump-off screen pass 15 yards on third and 14 in the first half. The refs didn't do that. The refs didn't throw an interception right before halftime and then compound it by allowing Leonard Fournette to get a fourth down catch and Scotty Miller to get a 40-yard bomb for a touchdown. The refs didn't allow The refs didn't have three plays inside the 10-yard line to score a touchdown in the fourth quarter and fail. That wasn't the refs. 
The refs didn't go two for four inside the red zone like the Packers did while allowing the Bucks to go two for two. No, no, no. The refs didn't do that either. The refs didn't fumble the football like Aaron Jones did at the beginning of the second half. And the refs didn't fail to capitalize on all of Tom Brady's turnovers. I mean, Tom Brady turned it over three times in the second half, and the Bucks still won because the Packers couldn't do enough with it. The refs did not do those things. The refs did not fail in that way. So we will all learn this about me. I am the fan police. I take whole – I'm fully on board and understand that I am the fan police, and I'm sorry about that. I also – you know, I think there's a specific way to be a fan – I also don't do the ref screwed us. A call can be bad. A call can have an impact. But when there's a hundred other plays that you failed to make or a million mistakes that you made, you shouldn't have to be relying on the ref in that situation. If you play perfect, then you can blame the ref. The Patriots, or the Packers rather, played far from perfect. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show. I'll give you a look at my Friday locks and tell you how I did. That's coming up next right here on WDEV. Every Friday, Brady gives you his locks for the weekend. Is he moving to the high rent district or is he headed to the outhouse? We look at the locks now on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, final quick segment here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Remember that uh, the full show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on our website. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff. Coming back here in about two and a half minutes with the articles of impeachment against President Donald Trump. So, uh, again, the text line seems to think I can call him president. If he's been president, I can call him president. I know he's former president, but... I think I can just call anybody who's been president, president. So that's up now in about two minutes. As for my locks for the week, I was right on the Buccaneers covering. I did say the Packers would win, but I thought the Bucs would cover. They all obviously did cover, so I was right about that. I was wrong on the Celtics. I said they would sweep the weekend. They went 1-1. One one. They crushed uh, Cleveland yesterday, which is amazing, given that Cleveland had just beaten Brooklyn twice with Kyrie Harden and Durant, but... Celtics win yesterday 141 to 103, but they did lose to Philly in a disheartening performance on Friday night. Celtics will play Chicago tonight. They should get Jason Tatum back for that one. I have not seen an official designation uh, on him, but he's coming back from the coronavirus. A couple of other texts here to get to. Uh, Nick in Swanton says, Give me Stafford for the price of two firsts all day long. If Bill Belichick wants to win another Super Bowl before he retires, this is the move. Now, two first-round picks is not worth it to me. Matthew Stafford is a guy again, about to be 34 years old, or about to be 33 years old, who's never won a playoff game. Other quarterbacks net first-round picks, yes, but they were also younger. Stafford is good. He is not great. And I'm not giving up two first-round picks for him. The number 15 pick in the draft, I'd give up all day. I just don't know how much more the Lions are going to want because I do think there's going to be a market for Stafford that takes the price out of the range that I am comfortable with. I would rather just trade up at that rate to get a guy with five years of team control rather than trade for a guy who's older, more expensive, with just two. All right, that will do it for the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. Again, the podcast available. So tonight, special programming. So 
from now for about the next 20 minutes. We will take you to live coverage from what's happening in Washington with the articles of impeachment being read against President Donald Trump, now former President Donald Trump, and then we will join Dinner Jazz in progress. So uh, now, until about 7.15, to Washington we go. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV.